and welcome to the Battle Line Podcast, where we have conversations on the collision of space between community, faith, and culture. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Satterley, and here with me is co-host on this podcast, co-host in life, co-host of my heart, and also the editor of Peer Magazine, Jamie Satterley. Jamie, how are you doing today? Fantastic. The sun is shining. It is a beautiful day. I'm good. We also have with us here our co-host, producer, the one who uh, makes this whole thing run, the one who tells us to hit the refresh button 500 times, <laughs> Elizabeth. How are you doing today, Elizabeth? I'm super stoked to be here and hit the refresh button. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. Today's episode is really exciting. So in the Salvation Army, we're going to dive into to what this means and how this works. But every spring, uh, we have what what is called move season. Uh, where the Salvation Army officers get transferred to new appointments in their respective territories. And there are a lot of questions about that process, how it works. So here today to kind of pull back the curtain on this, uh, we have with us Colonels Ken and Paula Johnson. Colonel Ken is our National Chief Secretary, and Colonel Paula is the National Secretary for Personnel. She also does some things in the Women's Department, uh, but Personnel is the part where we're hitting on today. We're not going to ask about the Women's Department today. <laughs> Probably ever. <laughs> I was I was looking for the piped in cheers in the background. Hey, I can do that. <laughs> hey. Thank you, thank you. Reggae horn, reggae horn. Yeah, All right. So, colonels, question number. Now, uh, I know as national chief, you probably deal with some big moves that affect territories. But for this, um, for this conversation, can you help us sort of remember what it was like, perhaps as a divisional commander? Try to speak to us from when those positions, as when you were making moves in the division. So, here's the first question. Why, why in the world does the Salvation Army move officers? I know that's a big loaded question right off the bat, but that's got to be the question that everybody asks first. Why do officers have to move? And the, and the truth is, that is a very broad question. But first of all, let me say, uh, let me say what a real joy it is for Paula and I to be with you today. Uh, you're exactly right. This is a, uh, a critical question that is in the hearts and minds of everybody these days, especially as you point out during the spring season. Uh, when a lot of times appointments uh, are changing over, people are moving and everybody's anxious to find out what's going on. And honestly, I, I feel like it's it's part of the culture of the Salvation Army because we are all friends. We are all family. And logically, we want to know where our family and friends are going, what's going on in their life. I mean, that's the whole purpose of Facebook and other social media platforms. Everybody's trying to stay in contact with each other. Hey, where's my bud going next? You know, what's going on uh, in his or her life? So it's only natural in the Salvation Army that uh, that we would have those same inquisitive questions as to where people are going. Uh, as, uh, as you know, my wife and I have had an opportunity to serve overseas. It doesn't change even when you go outside the U.S. boundary. People in Europe, people in Africa and all over, People like to know where where, uh, where their friends are going. So, uh, as you point out, this is a pertinent question uh, for today. Yeah, it's a it's a very broad question. Uh, people are anxious to know exactly what's going on. We know that uh, moves can be driven by a lot of different circumstances, a lot of different factors. Some of them are quite obvious. Take for example, uh, an officer that may be retiring. Obviously, they have to be replaced. God forbid, even though it does happen, there are officers who experience health problems, then obviously there's an adjustment that needs to be made. Uh, family needs, we know that whether it's an internal family, maybe uh, they, they're having some issues with the kiddos and 
They need to get them to a specialized school district. We've got, we in the Army try to be very sensitive uh, to those issues. Maybe it's mom and dad who are having some health issues on the other side of the territory. And, you know, they really need to get closer to them so that they could be of support. There could be a thousand different things that could crop up that drive the uh, MOVE process. Would you say, Colonel, is it like a domino effect then? Once you, ha- once you have a, ho- a hole, an appointment like a retirement, you've got to fill the hole, but now we have another hole. Uh, there has been many a person who has suggested that it is a domino effect. You know, sometimes that can be perceived as a, as a, uh, a negative approach to it. Uh, if anything, it should be viewed as a positive opportunity for ministry to say, well, yeah, we do have an opening here because uh, Captain Jane Doe is going to retire and she's going off to Florida to live the rest of her life. Here's an opportunity where the Lord can do a new thing, not only in someone's life and ministry, but also a new thing in that appointment, whatever that, wherever that appointment may be. So it's more than just the proverbial domino effect, even though that does come into play. I'm not so naive as to say that, yeah, you move somebody to appointment A, then appointment B is now open, and you've got to take care of that as well. So one of the things that I think always kind of comes into play when we talk about moves is there's like a sense of secrecy about it. And to me, to be certain, there are things that have to be kept confidential. Um, You know, things change and you wouldn't want something, you know, somebody's hard to get set on something, then it moves that creates all kinds of feelings. But do you, uh, do you think that the sense of secrecy, is it intentional? Is it needed? Is there actually um, like in the process itself, is it actually that it's secret or is it that because we've always treated it as such, we just kind of perpetuate that same system? Yeah, it, it can come off as feeling and uh, appearing to be secretive, but um, moves are complex. And um, I will have to say that the Army has made progress in this area too. There's a real push to be more consultative in conversations with officers, particularly about um, upcoming appointments. Um, It may be helpful for everyone to hear that officers are given the opportunity to share anything that might affect a move for them personally and their family or for their core of the appointment that they're in now. Um, A survey sent out, the officer can talk about schooling issues that are coming up. They might have a, a rising senior so it may not be the best time for a move for the family. Or there may be something going on at the core. The core has put together a missional plan and it's just being unrolled and things are starting to happen. It may not be the best time for the core to lose the officer. So there is some sort of consultative process going on. Um, it's not always possible to honor the request, but they're seriously considered. Um, but specific moves, as in Captain Jamie, you're moving tomorrow and we're going to send you to Lawton, Oklahoma, let's just say. Those aren't discussed because, as you already said, there are times when moves have to change even after the initial decisions have been made. And, and if too much information is given in advance and then something changes, it can cause uh, a bit of anxiety, a bit of concern. Case in point, Ken and I were on the training college staff 
when we were young officers, and we got a phone call. And the phone call said back then it was called DYL, Divisional Youth Leaders Conference. So the, the phone conversation was, hey, you guys need to be prepared to attend DYL's conference this year. Well, what that meant was we were going to move that June and we were going to go be a DYS somewhere. So our, our mind immediately kicked in. We're thinking about what we can do for camp. We're thinking about great youth council ideas that we want to come up with, you know, get behind our kids, rally behind them. We even started packing a little bit. And then, like literally three days before the conference, we get a second phone call. And it's the um, Secretary for Personnel who says to us, hey, you don't need to worry about going to DYL's conference this year. And we hung up the phone. And we're like, what? Seriously, so, wait, they just hung, you just hung up right after that? Yeah. Like, you don't need to worry about DYL's. And they hung up. Well, that was it. Basically, yeah, we'll call you later. So what just happened? Are we moving? Are we not moving? And then about two weeks later, we got another phone call and um, we were sent to a DHQ for Ken to serve in the finance role. So that process um, was it was a bit of an anxious time, right? So there was some need for the change, and we understand that. We happily saluted and went to our next appointment. But um, news do change, so you can't share too much information too soon. Go ahead, Colonel. And, and, and let me just share, though, that out of that experience that Paula and I had, we thought we were going to be DYSs. I began to gear up, and I went out and bought the top-of-the-line tennis shoe of that year. I got a great pair of tennis shoes out of this. It was great. <laughs> Listen, as as you secretaries, I just want to know who you cheesed off that you went from you secretaries to the finance department. Yeah, what can you say? That's the big U-turn. All right, so tell us, like, uh, let's uh, let's put on uh, again the divisional commander's hat here for this question. Run us through the process of like the timeline. When do the when do you start having discussions like thinking okay I need to, these are gonna holes that are gonna appear these people are retiring like when's the timeline when does the pre meeting start what about command heads we've all heard about that I don't know what they call it in other territories um, where the all the divisional commanders come together and that's I think where the intrigue is a little bit for people who want to know what's it like in command heads like is it a horse swap we're like listen I got myself here a good a good. <laughs> I'll trade to, you two lieutenants for a major. <laughs> yeah, right. Like the NFL, like almost like that. I will give you a pick to be named later next year if you let me have your first rounder this one. So what's I know it's a long question, but what's the timeline? What's command heads like? Is it really like the NFL draft? Well, I have to admit that uh, your, your analogy there is spot on because I remember when uh, Paul and I were divisional leaders in Florida. And uh, somebody came to me and said, look, we're going to be uh, making some changes in your divisional youth team. Uh, what do you think? I've got just the officers for you. Their names are Satterly. It looks like we're having audio problems. I don't know if <laughs> Colonel's going to be able to continue on with this story. <laughs> I said, I know those people. I'll be glad to take them as my DYs. <laughs> it's great. Uh, no, the, the reality is, let's, let's pull the curtain back like you were talking about. The process never ends. There is honestly ongoing conversation between the divisional leaders, between the 
the uh, territorial staff and uh, those at the divisional level about upcoming uh, moves that might be needed because we try to be very proactive looking into the future of where an opening might appear, retirements or whatever, and uh, what might be needed to fill that appointment, the, the, the perfect fit for that appointment. I want to say up front here, something that we really haven't touched on. I've served on a lot of, of appointment boards. This whole process is bathed in prayer. I can tell you, I've seen it time and time again. This is a very sacred process. And uh, there's constant prayer for the, uh, the officer corps and the, the leadership that is needed. Uh, so again, the conversation continues year round. Uh, you would probably be familiar with the process of the, uh, the uh, divisional uh, command review when territorial leadership comes out to the divisions. We will hold a specific private meeting with the divisional leaders to talk about the personnel by name, every one of them, husband, wife, single, whatever, to talk about how they're doing, what are their needs, how can we support them, and is there uh, a potential for their uh, service in another area. We recognize that every officer is gifted by God according to the way the Lord wants to gift them, and we in the Army would want to be sensitive to that and try to take advantage of that giftedness that the Lord has given uh, uh, specific officers. So we started the uh, the divisional review process. That's in the uh, late winter, early spring. We continue that dialogue through the summer. And yes, you're right, it really gets cranked up during the fall when uh, we start getting more serious about moves that will be happening in June. You would think, why so many months out? It is a very, as we've uh, pointed out, it's a very complex process and much that has to be taken into consideration. Uh, so in the, in the fall, we continue our dialogue, and then we hold what you have uh, uh, described as the command heads meeting, where the divisional leaders and the territorial leaders come together, and they, they talk openly in, the, in a big room. Okay, division by division, this is where we have an opening that's going to be coming up. What do we need to do? The, let me tell you about that appointment. Let me tell you about the youth program in Florida and what we need as new divisional youth leaders in Florida. Let me tell you about the core in Sarasota, Florida, what's going on there, and what are the skill sets that are needed by an officer to take that ministry that's going well and take it to a new level. That conversation takes place at the command heads meeting. After that meeting disperses, those divisional leaders will begin to talk amongst themselves They'll call each other after, uh, after the meeting and say, you know, I may have a perfect fit for you. We come back together in the winter and have another command heads meeting, at which time we say, okay, we've been able to resolve a lot of it. Notice it's been resolved with very little influence from territorial headquarters. They've been able to work it out themselves. They bring resolution to the table. Territorial headquarters leadership listens to it and says, I think you've got a perfect idea there. And before you know it, the Lord has spoken into the process, even across the many miles of the, uh, uh, the territory. And then ultimately, the final list is put together. It's approved by the territorial leadership and appointments are released. 
has Colonel Paula ever gotten feisty in a command heads meeting? <laughs> no, uh, never. Wanted an English, wanted an English or Russian? Da, no. da, da, da. <laughs> Just to follow up on what what Colonel was saying, um, we've actually sat in command head meetings where um, an appointment came open and there wasn't a way forward that was evident. And so the Secretary for Personnel has stopped the meeting and we just spent time in prayer. And after that, it's almost an amazing thing to God work the way he works because it's almost an immediate, this is who needs to go there. This is who has the gifting, the skill sets who would fit perfectly in that appointment. And it's really, it's very cool to see God work that way just in that meeting to see him open up his will and his purpose and his plan and for everybody to agree. Yes, this is the way the, the Lord wants us to lead. It's quite a sacred moment. It really is. So um, I want to talk a minute about personnel board, which happens on the divisional levels. I had the opportunity in our previous appointment to sit on personnel board. Um, and it, it was really, um, I, I really enjoyed it because it helped me understand a little bit more um, what, you know, how this worked, this process in the army. And I did have a new appreciation and understanding, just like you say, about how diligent that board is to, to seek God's will in all of this. I think sometimes we get cynical and we, you know, we, we receive appointments or we look at appointments and we think, what in the world are these people thinking? But is another reminder uh, that God's ways are not our ways. Uh, and so, uh, beautiful things can come out of that when we're, when we're open and available, uh, to him. And so I really appreciated the learning opportunity that was, and it helped, it gave me another level of respect, um, for, for really the care that the army puts into that. Um, but can you talk a, a minute about personnel board? Is there a requirement that the board exists? Is there a requirement for who sits on it? Um, who makes those final decisions? Do all moves like go to the general? Um, how does that work? I, and that is the question. I, I, does the general does the general have to sign off on every single move in the Salvation Army? Yeah. So, Jamie, you already talked about um, divisional appointment board. So, in every division, you'll have the divisional leaders who will come together, and then they select members for the personnel board. And just you've already described the process perfectly of what happens at the divisional level. The same thing happens then on a territorial level. Territorial leaders will call together the cabinet um, and they and, or and they can also appoint um, different people outside of the cabinet to that appointment board and they go over the moves again um, just as they're done at a divisional level. Now as far as whether the general has to sign off on all of them, no, he doesn't. The general has to sign off on what's called reserved and senior reserved appointments. And those are appointments that are held by divisional leaders or cabinet members. Even the territorial youth secretary, the territorial youth secretary and the candidate secretaries are considered reserved appointments. So those have to go to IHQ in advance. They go before personnel board at IHQ. Um, the chief of the staff chairs that one. And then the general has to sign off on those appointments. They're returned to the territory and then the appointments are made. 
And then obviously when you think about international appointments, whenever somebody is leaving their territory and going to another territory, uh, those have to be uh, signed off on by the national commander here at uh, NHQ. If somebody is leaving and going to an overseas appointment, like Paul and I, when we were stationed in uh, Moscow, Russia, those obviously came from the general. They are an appointment by the general. And so uh, obviously he has uh, direct influence on uh, those international appointments. Well, that's, and that is a great follow-up, Colonel, I mean, uh, leading into my next question. So can we talk a, a minute about what happens when, can you explain the process of how, like, when DHQ or THQ or NHQ or IHQ, um, divisional, territorial, national, international, for those of you who don't know the acronyms, headquarters, how, how does it, how's the process work when they pull somebody, like when you need a divisional youth secretary or you need somebody for overseas uh mission appointments? When, when people get pulled for appointments, how does that process work? Oh, well, there uh, obviously it's a consultative process where uh, the territorial leadership will start at that level, may contact a division and say, look, we're interested in appointing the Satterleys as divisional youth secretaries in the division. Uh, what do you think about that appointment? Uh, because again, the uh, divisional commanders many times have a better perspective of the skill sets of an officer than, uh, than our friends at uh, territorial headquarters. So they will consult, they'll say, uh, what do you think about that? The divisional uh, leadership may say, yes, that's a great appointment for them. However, the timing is not good <clears throat> because they've got a rising senior. And it would be very nice if for the family's sake, they remain in their appointment until their, their son or daughter graduates from high school in the move process, we try to make sure that the children are not lost in the shuffle. And um, that's where we really have to bathe it in prayer because we're not not only talking about the officer couple or the single, we're not only talking about the appointment, but we're talking about the family. So they will, you know, the divisional commander may say, yeah, this is a great time for them uh, to move in that direction. It's a great developmental appointment for them because we want to continue to give experience and exposure to our officers for even uh, uh, different leadership roles. So uh, they will consult and say, yeah, that's that's a good process. Knowing full well that when that officer is taken to a divisional appointment, now that divisional commander's got to figure out how to fill that appointment. It goes back to your domino effect <laughs> of uh, having to work through those. And it's the same at the territorial level. Hey, we're going to pull uh, an officer couple and bring them up to territorial headquarters, or you know, you might have an officer couple who gets pulled to be servants at national headquarters. And yes, that's a process too, when they're brought up here. So throughout the whole process is consultative and it's bathed in prayer. So can you, we're gonna slide down the timeline a little bit now of. Once moves have been approved, then it's time for the moves to be released. Can you talk about that a little bit, how that happens? Um, how are the officers notified? Then what happens after that? And then a, a tough question that I think we wonder about from time to time, if you can answer it, is what happens if an officer feels like that's not the right thing and they say, no, I don't want to do that. And why does the bulletin website, why does the bulletin website crash on <laughs> April 18th, when everybody tries to download it at the same time. 
Well, before Paula speaks into that, <laughs> it's interesting you say that because years ago, uh, before I uh, went to training, I'm an old guy now. Don't make fun of me. Uh, I worked in the finance department, and I would have to look at the long-distance phone call bills. <laughs> and when those moves were released, as you can imagine, there was a spike in the, in the, in the price of long-distance phone calls. <laughs> Listen, I can remember as a kid, being an officer's kid, um, being you know down at the core or whatever when moves came out, and they would get faxed out yeah. on move day at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon or whatever, and you'd just be kind of hanging out by the fax machine waiting to see. And then you're like, did all the pages come through? I don't know. <laughs> it was a different time. Somebody want to explain what a fax machine is to half of our <laughs> listeners? <laughs> and it's all about timing, as we were talking about earlier. Hey, I'm an officer's kid. I'm on vacation in, in Richmond, Virginia. We lived in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And my dad received a phone call while we were on vacation from another officer. Hey, I'm, I'm being moved to your appointment. <laughs> Tell me, tell me about Fort Smith. And dad was like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Timing is everything. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry Colonel Paula. You were going to give us a good holy answer. And we just- I know. I was like, this is going to grasp deeply. But anyway. So what happens is obviously the officer's leader, if they're uh, in a division, the divisional commander would call. If they're at territorial headquarters or national headquarters, their section leader would call and tell them that they're under farewell orders. Jamie and Matt, we've had that conversation with you before. Um, And then they would be asked to keep that information confidential. Like Ken said, it's because (laughs) I'm laughing. I'm laughing. What'd you say, Matt? No, I'm just saying I'm laughing because it it is funny how when it's so hard when you get that call saying you're moving and then the divisional commander says, okay, I'm going to need you to keep this confidential. You're like, what? Exactly. (laughs) No, I mean, you can tell your family if you don't have 17 year olds who are going to, you know, get on Facebook and make the announcements (laughs) or whatever. Um, Yeah, they do ask you to keep it confidential because like we said, it takes time to call everybody on that list. And it wouldn't be fair for another officer like Ken shared the example <laughs> to hear that they're moving from whoever's following them. Um, well, anyway, after the calls are made, the leader confirms with the territorial secretary for personnel that um, everyone who is moving has been notified. And then THQ releases a bulletin on a specified date and the moves are released to the territory. Um, now, Jamie, to what you were asking about, what happens in a, if an officer refuses an appointment? Um, again, that's a conversation with the leader. If there are valid reasons, maybe they didn't disclose some issues or something's come up in recent weeks that the leaders aren't um, aware of, they'll work with the officer and um, see what can happen. But sometimes the reality is as officers, it's shocking when you get that call that you're moving. It doesn't mean it doesn't really matter how long you've been doing this or how many calls you've received telling you farewelling. It's still a little bit shocking. And sometimes our initial response is to say, uh-uh, that's not for me. I'm not good. Pass. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it just takes um, the conversation with a leader to let you work it all out of your system 
Um, a reminder that this is what we signed up for as officers. It's no surprise you're going to move. Um, those moves can be exciting. They can be challenging. They can be heartbreaking. They can be wonderful. We don't get to pick our appointments all the time. Um, so if there's not a valid reason, generally, you're encouraged to salute and to go. Um, and as officers, we put our trust first and foremost in God working in all of our appointments. And we also put our trust in um, the Army that we're going to send us where God can use us, where the people in, in the community can benefit from ministry, and where it will benefit the Army as a whole as well. Thanks, Colonels. Th oh, go ahead, Colonel. Okay, uh, you're about to say something. Okay. We also recognize, and uh, I, I keep coming back to a common theme, uh, we also recognize that these same feelings may be felt by the children of the family. And uh, they're saying, well, why, why am I having to leave my friends? Why am I having to leave my school that I love? Personal testimony, my, uh, uh, when I was uh, moving from uh, middle school to high school, I wanted to stay where we were. I loved where we lived. I'm a musician. I wanted to be uh, going to the high school that I was slated to go to. And then the word came that we were going to be under farewell orders. And I was crushed as a kid. Did not want to go where we were going, even though it was a great appointment for, for my mom and dad. But now looking retrospect, it was clearly the best thing that the Lord had for my life. And when I moved from that point A to point B with my mom and dad, went to the new high school, I look back on it and that move that the Lord did with my parents put me on a different trajectory that took me to places that I would have never, ever imagined. So we, we try to balance both, both the parents and the kiddos. That's great points, Colonel. That's great stuff. Yeah, sometimes your parents even get moved when they don't want to and that's how you meet your future wife. Yes. This is where you chime in, Matt. <laughs> yes. Agree. <laughs> That's what I thought Colonel Ken was going to say. I thought he was going to say, and then I met, I went to high school and I met. I know. Yeah. Well, give me a trouble, Matt. He did meet a lot of girls, but it wasn't me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Look what That's, you started, Matt. That's going to be my answer to what gives you joy. Um, so there's the, the younger uh the younger generation in the Salvation Army that have that have grown up have said, you know, is there a case to be made for longer appointments? For longer appointments, like we've heard a couple of years ago, there was this thing rolled out about saying, well, there's going to be some appointments that are seven year appointments and things like that. What what are the pros and the cons to a long longer term uh, appointments? You know, I think the Army's doing a lot better in this area of, um, of striving to do longer appointments. There was a lot of talk about making appointments at least three years, extend them out to five where possible. But as we've already discussed, there's complex issues that come up, whether it be retirements or promotions to glory or health issues or resignations that just don't make that possible. Well, the pros obviously are that the officer has the opportunity to make um, long-term goals, work with the members of the Corps or the staff to put mission plans into action. Uh, they build rapport with their team. 
and with their congregations. And so those are all um, all bonuses, all real pluses for long appointments. But the downside, I've often heard soldiers or staff members say, officers come and officers go, praise God from whom all things flow. Let's face it, there's personalities and ministry styles and leadership styles um, that are different for everyone. And some of those styles fit in certain appointments and certain ministries better than in others. So if it's not a good fit and it's a, and it's a long appointment, it's difficult for everybody. It's difficult for the core members or the staff members. It's difficult for the officer. Um, that's why core and staff appointments are evaluated annually. And the core officer, the staff members, the, the um, soldiers have an opportunity to share what is working and maybe what's not working and then accommodations can be navigated. So yes, in some areas, the longer appointments are a great idea, but there are other appointments, not so much for both the soldiers, the staff or the officer. So there's pros and cons, yeah. What a, you, you thread that needle so nicely there, Colonel Paula, <laughs> well done. I will say, I feel like the Army has made a lot of strides, you know, in this, up until the point I was in eighth grade, we moved every two years as a kid. Uh, and then in that eighth grade moment, we got our first, my parents got their first four-year appointment. Um, so uh, I think, I think that the Army has made adjustments in this area and it's progressing. We're just coming out of a five-year appointment, which was phenomenal for our kids um, and really appreciated that the Army let us kind of hunker down for a little while. Can you talk a little bit about how it works for cadets? I think it's kind of swung back and forth, right? Sometimes there's a tendency to send cadets back where they came from. Sometimes there's a a tendency to say, no, they need to get out and see the rest of the territory. What is that process like for cadets coming out of the training school? Well, it's very much the uh, same process. When we were talking about that command heads meeting that that is held uh, first one normally in the fall, um, the uh, the training principal is obviously a, an integral part of that conversation, and uh, he will come with a report on how the the uh, upperclassmen, the second year cadets, uh, are uh, doing by name. Uh, they will give their observations of where they have excelled, where they are showing clear giftedness. This uh, this cadet is excellent in working in youth ministries or. This cadet has strong, strong preaching skills, whatever they're, uh, and they'll do a 360 review of each one of the, the, uh, the cadets. Many times they will even bring a little booklet that they will share with the divisional leaders that they can, those divisional leaders can take home with them as they are continuing to pray over and think about where the, uh, the new lieutenants can be placed within in uh, their divisions. Is this book like a Sears catalog, Colonel? Oh, yes. <laughs> like, you just yeah, go through yeah. and circle the ones you want? <laughs> Hand I'll it take, in? I'll take one from column A and one from column B. <laughs> uh, Jamie, you're, uh, you're, you're, you're spot on in that a lot of the times the uh, the uh, divisions would like to get their, their newly commissioned lieutenants back to their division. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes there are skill sets that an officer, new lieutenant, 
who is from the Carolinas, maybe those skill sets would work well in Garland, Texas, other side of the territory. And that's exactly what happened to Ken and Paula. We came in from the Carolinas. We were commissioned to Garland, Texas. But it's because the Lord and the Army felt like we would do a very good job there. You've got the whole other issue of, you know, the old saying, a prophet is not welcome in their own home. <laughs> you know, sometimes there may be benefit to giving a new lieutenant who came out of a specific division an opportunity to take flight, expand their wings and, you know, experience new, uh, new avenues of ministry in places where the people really don't know them. And so they really have no preconceived opinion of that. Oh, that's just little Johnny. He used to go to camp with us. No, that's Lieutenant Johnny. He's a commissioned and ordained minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's better that he go to another uh, division. So there's a lot of prayer that goes into the cadets as well, the new lieutenants as well. It's also good too for um, officers to see different divisions. If you grew up only knowing the Carolinas, then you might be very surprised when you move to AOP to find it's a little bit different of an army. And the same if they went from AOP to Florida. Again, it, it looks different. It is different. And you learn um, about the army. You have a broader perspective. You get new creative ideas. You learn new ministry techniques and ministry um, tools that, that can benefit the division and certainly the officer personally. Yeah, I, I can't imagine like for our Western Territory friends who, you know, have people who go to the training school from Southern California and then your first appointment is Alaska or, you know, way up in Idaho or something. It just uh, to fathom that that giant territory that we have out West there uh, to move from place to place would just be. Yeah, it's. A, I mean, yeah, there's a lot. I think it's a great opportunity, though. And, you know, we don't always, I think, appreciate this, but uh, the body of Christ it looks different, even what seems like a small distance from, you know, Texas to Alabama. Uh, it can be it can be different, certainly beautiful. And there are things to learn in every place. We had a similar um, experience Colonel, where we came in out of West Texas, and when we got our appointment, um, it was Colonel Faulkner <laughs> gave us our appointment, and he said, you're going just a little bit east. And we were like, okay, a little bit east would be like Louisiana. He said, you're going to Portsmouth, Virginia. And I was like, sir, that's not, you need a new map. That's not a little bit east. It's the complete other side of the territory. Like, you couldn't go further east from the west where we were. Um but we learned so many lessons. Like I had no idea what Portsmouth, Virginia was, but we learned so many lessons. And I think things that we needed to learn to be Salvation Army officers that we might not have learned anywhere else. Well, and, and, and it, still, it still goes back to the fact that the whole purpose of this is kingdom building. And it's not our kingdom. It's not the Salvation Army's kingdom. It's the Lord's kingdom. And uh, my mind often goes back to uh, Paul when uh, he lands safe and sound on the shores of Ephesus. And uh, he's about to conclude his third missionary journey. And what does he say? He says, well, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm finishing up my third missionary journey. However, bef before I go back to Jerusalem, I'm going to need to swing through Rome because I've got some ministry 
that I need to do up in Rome before I go back home. He saw where the Lord needed him and the Lord was calling him to serve in far-flung places like you were describing, Jamie. But he knew that the Lord had for him a work to do. And using army phraseology, he gave the army salute and off he went to serve the Lord where the Lord wanted him to serve. That's been true even in our own personal life. We were Southern officers went in from the Carolinas and served there most of our career. And then we got sent to Eastern Europe and we loved our time there and we learned a whole different perspective um, about the army. But more importantly, um, we learned the new reliance on the Lord, which strengthened our walk with the Lord and with, um, and in our own personal lives, we grew a lot spiritually. And then we left there, came back to the South just for two short years and went to the Eastern Territory, where it was a whole different opportunity to serve there. And um, it's been phenomenal to see how God works um, across the world and, and how he uses um, his plans, his purposes and his people to build his kingdom. It's, it's, it's been exciting. We're glad we had the opportunity and we'll do it again tomorrow. And, and I've, I've got to share from a, from a global perspective. The Lord, I am convinced, is deeply embedded in the, uh, the appointment process. Paula and I have uh, had the privilege of serving on two high councils in uh, the Salvation Army, where the high council, for those who uh, your listeners may not know, the high council is that group of international leaders who are tasked with the sole responsibility of electing the generals of the Salvation Army. They're the ones that identify who will be the next general. It's the appointment process, if you will, of the next general of the Salvation Army. And I can tell you from that level all the way down to when the new lieutenant is appointed straight out of the training college, there is a holy aura about when the Lord makes those calls and it becomes very clear what his intent is. When Paul and I sat in the high council chamber and it began to be obvious who the Lord was pointing to as the next general of the Salvation Army, you could see and you could almost feel it was palpable. You could feel the presence of the Lord driving the thought process. That happens in the divisional appointment boards as well. It's that same palpable feeling that God is in control. You may not understand it, but be at peace because he is in control. It's great stuff, Colonels. Here, we're gonna, here's our last question for you. Um, and then, of course, we'll get into our favorite ending question, what gives you joy. But our last question about moves is this. What do you see anything, and is there anything else you want to add, but what do you see as the future of moves in the Salvation Army? That's a big question. I'm not, I'm not really sure that I have an answer for that one. Um, I think that leaders want to continue to strengthen the consultative conversations that are taking place now. Um, they'll want to strengthen that. I sometimes wonder if in the future the Army will look to specialized appointments that's already happening in some of the territories around the world. I'm not sure what that looks like for the USA, um, but I wonder if that might be 
something where um, officers are, are approached about taking specialized appointments. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see um, what the Lord and the Army do with the move process in the coming years. Um, it'll be exciting to sit back and watch it happen. Ken, I don't know if you have any thoughts. Uh, the, uh, the, the move process obviously will be with us forever. There, there will always be moves because, you know, the dynamics of life and the dynamics of people's lives are constantly changing. It's a very fluid world in which we live. Uh, and so, you know, the move process will be with us ever. <clears throat> Paula's point is well taken and that uh, there is some intentionality, uh, not that there wasn't heretofore, but uh, there is clear intentionality about trying to uh, develop officers. Uh, let me say right up front uh, so that we can be very clear. We are doing everything we can in the administration of the Army to uh, give attention to diversity, equity, and inclusion. It is a very serious uh, initiative. Uh, we've, we've, we've been on this journey. This is not a new journey, but uh, there's a renewed emphasis on uh, leadership that is a, that reflects the people that we serve. And so uh, there's more intentionality there. And then as Colonel Paula pointed out, I was about to say, uh, the uh, development and the skill sets of officers so that they uh, can be perhaps in specialized appointments like the training of new CROC administrators. Because CROC has, has leadership responsibilities that are unique unto itself. Our business section, for your listenership, those who are thinking about uh, uh, answering a call to officership, we need uh, people in the business section. We need accountants. Go get some accounting experience, some accounting education, and uh, you can almost be assured that uh, the Army is going to take care of that and the Lord's going to place you where he has gifted you, as I kind of alluded to earlier. Well, thank you so much, Colonels, for being with us. We are going to, we're going to have to have you come back to talk to us about a little bit more. We, we could do a whole podcast episode on diversity inclusion um, conversation, definitely, for sure. So we'll have to talk about that in the coming months. Um, and when this podcast debut, debuts, that's not a word, debuts, <laughs> sorry, I'm from the South, when it debuts, um, <laughs> it will be pretty close to the time when officially moves are going to roll out in our the four U.S. territories. So um, thank you, colonels, for being with us today, for uh, pulling back the curtain, showing us a little bit about what it's like on the other side, um, and uh, just reinforcing to us that this, situ this whole matter is taken in prayer um, every step of the way, and that the Lord is the one who makes the moves. Again, I think we say that so much that sometimes people just take it for granted, but it's good for us to hear. The Lord makes the move. Um, we just uh, hold on for the ride. Officership, it's an adventure. I love it. All right, Captain Jamie, what's our final question? All right, so each week uh, to kind of, you know, cut through whatever monotony might be there, although is there such thing as monotony when you're a Salvation Army officer? Sometimes I think we could use a little bit more of it. Um, but we want to, we always look at this question. What is giving you joy? So Matt, you want to go first? What's giving you joy this week? Yeah, I saw a movie the other day. Um, it's an older movie. It's been out for a couple of years now called Hacksaw Ridge. Um, World War II movie uh, directed by Mel Gibson. Uh, Andrew Garfield is a conscientious, look at this, I can't pronounce the word, objector. But um, it's a great movie because he is, um, you have to watch the movie, but 
I thought the movie was great about evangelism because the whole time he's trying to save his buddies who have been shot up in World War II, he keeps praying, Lord, give me one more. Let me save one more. That line is said over and over again in the movie. Please, Lord, let me save one more. Um, and I just, when I watched it, I thought, I don't mean to make this spiritual, but uh, just when he says, Lord, give me one more, I was like, that's just great stuff. So Hacksaw Ridge, if you haven't seen it, uh, go see it. It's been out for a couple of years. Uh, so no spoilers. How about you? Can you stream Eliz- it, uh, probably somewhere. I don't, I had to get, listen, you're coming for me because I still get the DVDs from Netflix. I know what you're trying to do, Captain Jamie. You don't get to play me like that. All right. How about you, Elizabeth? What's giving you joy? In a similar vein, I'm going movies, high school musical, the series. Well, not, I'm sorry, not the series, like the trilogy, the OG series, not high school musical, the no. series, no. but high school musical, the trilogy series, the series. Yes. Who's your favorite? Who's your favorite? But gotta be Troy Bolton. I mean, yes, duh. that's great. Those are good. I mean, you know, I I watch those uh, with my kids, not by myself, right? Uh, Naturally, and uh, they're catchy. There's some catchy songs so there. Good. What I really want to know is, um, Colonel Paul is making a face. He has no idea what High School Musical is. So, Colonel Paula, what's giving you joy? And w- is it High School Musical? Yeah. I'm clueless, sorry, but I'm waiting <laughs> for you. Um, okay, what brings me joy? Um, I'm joyful and thankful and grateful because a week ago we got our second COVID vaccination. And that just brought such Hey-o. and such hope, you know? And I'm also joyful because on Saturday morning I get on a plane for vacation. And Where are you going? Or are you not going to say? You don't want to say. We get to see our family. We're going to look for our retirement home. We get to see our yeah. grandson play a soccer game. Yeah, so it's all good. Can nice. I, I know I don't want to get political, but let me ask. Yeah. Do you guys feel okay from the vaccine? No side effects. Do you still love Jesus? Because I read on Facebook that it makes it alters your genes and makes you not love Jesus. You don't follow the you're not following the Antichrist now. You're still believers, right? Maybe they did they didn't inject a uh, computer chip into my vein. No. That's right. Listen, don't get you your science news on Facebook. You tell me. I'm just confirming that you guys are still believers. <laughs> we love Jesus. All right. Excellent. Colonel Ken. Uh, you guys are. Uh, you, you guys think entirely too lofty for me. What, <laughs> brings me. what brings me joy? I've been on a diet. This week I went out to get a uh, a uh, peanut buster parfait. Uh, from Dairy Queen. What a glorious moment it was. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm slobbering at you as I talk about it. I'm drooling. <laughs> but uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I'm a musician. I've always been a musician all of my life. And uh, music brings me great joy. Uh, right here, uh, I attend the uh, Alexandria Corps, and I have an opportunity to play guitar in the uh, Praise and Worship Band on Sunday. And uh, just being able to get the uh, guitar out and the old 60s, that's right, I'm an old guy. The old <laughs> 60s rock and roller comes out in me. And uh, getting a chance to play this uh, past Sunday was Easter Sunday. And uh, to to sing the song Graves into Gardens. And the, the recognition, yes, it's music. I love, you know, the melodic sounds. But the message of the songs <clears throat> that we're able to sing every Sunday and take that giftedness, what it is that I've got in music 
and just give it back to the Lord and say, look, you took my grave, you turned it into a garden. I'm going to take this gift, turn it, turn it back into a gift for, to you. So uh, that, that brings me great joy. Colonel Ken just turned a peanut butter milkshake into a salvation sermon. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen. And here's the deal too. He used to um, use a pickup line. Hey, come here. Let me teach you how to play Eleanor Rigby on my guitar. <laughs> hey, I got a wife out of it. Man, Colonel Paul out here is spilling the tea. All right, Jamie, wrap it up. What What's giving you joy? All right, so what's giving me joy? Uh, we had spring break last week, and so I got to catch up on a couple of Netflix shows, and I finally got to watch A Week Away, which we talked about in a previous episode. Uh, you know, Troubled Kid Goes to Camp, which is where my heart is. Uh, and he finds his way and the music was glorious and I've been listening to the soundtrack and there has never been so much Michael W. Smith played in my house. Uh, Elizabeth, when Stephen Curtis Chapman and Amy Grant made cameo appearances, it was like fangirling all over again. It was pathetic. Matt was like, Jamie, what is Stephen happening in Curtis our house Chapman right now? is getting a little old. Hey, SCC, hate to tell you this, bro. SCC, yeah. But getting a little old, bro. Getting a little old. I was just going to say, I was hearkening back to my camp director days, definitely not following ACA policies in this movie, not true to life, uh, but it made me long for those summer camp days is good stuff. The only, uh, the only tag I could put on this conversation, you're exactly right. When this podcast is released, there are going to probably be some appointments are going to be released. The only thing I can say is, Saturdays, you're not on that list. Hey, oh, it's about yeah. time. I could listen, I can still make some chaos. Listen, for, it's, it's funny because even though we were there five years, every year but one year that we were in Florida, my name was on the move list because my title kept changing. So even though we stayed in the same place, I think I was on that list every single year. I know. <laughs> That's going to end this episode of the Battle Line Podcast. So be sure to subscribe to the Battle Line wherever you listen to podcasts. And sure to check out the Peer website at peermag.org or follow Peer on all the socials at peer.magazine. Lastly, don't forget, we have a sister podcast with the War Cry called the Fight for Good Podcast. Give them a listen. Thank you, Colonels Johnson, for being with us. Until next time, this has been the Battle Line Podcast. Bye. <laughs>